Uh, Ian, as always, welcome back to Wraith TV. We've spoken many, many times over uh, the duration of your time with Wraith Rovers and certainly uh, with Wraith TV in its kind of 15th year or so for myself. We've had a lot of conversations. Uh, in this one, we are going to focus on one subject in particular, and that's Ian Davison. A very particular reason for that, and that being your testimonial on Friday. Um, how are you looking forward to it? Looking forward to it very much so. Um, it's been a long time coming. Um, I thought we weren't going to get there again this season due to the circumstances that are happening in the world right now. Um, but I'm just glad it's now getting done. It's a pity that we can get more people in the door because I'm quietly confident we could have got at least maybe around 3,000. I mean, Hibs is one of the big clubs in Scotland and I like to think there'd be a, a lot of Wraith Rovers fans turned up as well. So it's quite, there's a sense of frustration there as well that it can be under normal circumstances, especially see what's happening in England the last few days there at Wimbledon and Wembley. But Obviously, we're, we're different from England, so... But no, I'm just glad that it's getting done and it's been a great response from the tickets going on sale last week and to get a thousand sold is, is pleasing. It's really pleasing and I'm looking forward to it and, yeah, I'm just looking forward to a nice send-off in, in, in a way saying thank you to the Rovers faithful, really. So we'll have... Um, tickets are sold, it's a sell-out in terms of the thousand, there's a donated ticket where there's lots of kind of raffles going on and, of course, we've got Wraith TV, we'll be covering the pay-per-view as well, so we'll get the details up now. I'm glad you got the memo to wear the green hips top today, well done. <laughs> Wasn't sure if the text message had got to you. Yeah, it's got a few hibbies, so I'll keep them happy. But no, I'm straight off the golf course, so hence the reason why I'm on a golf polo. So we've got uh, a career covering uh, 507 games, two stints, numerous managers, highs, lows, drama, chaos, mayhem and indeed some very memorable victories. So I was trying to come up with a plan to, to see how do you cover all of that? And it's, it might be a wee bit of a disjointed uh, trip down memory lane, but I think, uh, I think let's uh, kick off at the beginning. And um, the question that you probably get asked most in your footballing career is, or the name you hear the most is Claude Anelka. Um, let's start with Claude. And I, I guess the, the question is, we know how it came to be. Um, Tell us about your lasting memory of, of the man and the, the situation you found yourself within. Interesting man. Um, but as regards an actual man himself, a genuine nice man that people actually didn't see. But he was obviously judged and based on the football situation at the club that unfortunately went badly wrong as regards his recruitment and the way it went round. Um, so no, the football memories are obviously ones you want to forget. And I think a lot of Rafe Rovers fans would. And I'm always reminded I'm an Elka signing, which is which is a fact and true. But yeah, I just, as I say, I remember the sort of first week of pre-season, that was an eye-opener, um, sort of training with these, these gentlemen and these so-called players. So yeah, I kind of knew even 20 year old at the time I knew that we were in for a sort of long season unless these things got addressed and obviously it was as we know it turned out to be a bit of a sad season for us but as I say Claude is, as the guard an actual person was, was a good man I think he had good intentions at the Rovers I mean he invested a lot of money in the club but he obviously just got the infrastructure badly long really or he should have been better advised and at the end of the day he'd been his brother's agent if I'm right and he's obviously earned a lot of money so a bit no, it was sad to see that it didn't go right and as I say, I think a lot of Rafe Rovers people like to keep that in the past and it's something I like to as a player. <laughs> I mean, I spent quite a bit of time with him and, and went down to London to meet him a few years ago for one of your features and um, I think his description at the time was you quickly realise that professional football from the real inside and from the manager's room is, is an absolute wolf that, that quickly turns on you. Um, 
it's quite a game from the inside, isn't it? It is. People don't understand what it takes and how how much hard work goes into it. It's, it's always easy looking in with the best players in the world sitting on the stand watching a football match. Sometimes I get like that. I should know that because I'm suspended quite a lot, but it's easy to get caught up. But when you're involved in that football pitch, it's a total different game for what you're seeing on the stand. And as I say, I think Claude, unfortunately, was a basically a bit of a, a rookie in that role, it would be the right thing to say. But I, I was sad for him because he was a good man and he was good to me and he signed me. But as I say, he just, he just got it badly wrong as to regards his recruitment, bringing these French people over. He later on went to hear where they were supposedly family-connected friends. And you could tell that in training and stuff in an 11-side game that these guys weren't the deal, unfortunately. And as I say, it didn't last too long. Started off so glamorously. You were the Scottish Brewers Cup champions within two games. Or a goal in the final, is that a medal that's in the middle of your mantelpiece? Yeah, it's hanging on the wall, yeah. <laughs> Not. Um, but no, that's actually, it's not until you say that. I, I, I've got a memory like a sieve bit that you bring that up. I remember the weekend away down at, down at Annan and it was a nice weekend because I had done well. So yeah, it's always okay when you're winning. But that was that was my first involvement there at the weekend away with, with Claude and the boys and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was a nice moment. A quick uh, wake-up call when we played uh, Albion Rovers in the, in the Cup. There's a, a quite famous picture yourself and a, a great pile of ATVs that starts part, pretty much every home game. Mark Yardley um, absolutely ragdolling uh, these French lads about that uh, I don't think they'll have seen the likes. There is. There's a, there's a photo that I think I still actually have that in a frame of myself and Mark Yardley who was a few sizes bigger than me, <laughs> the greatest respect to Mark. And um, yeah, it's definitely it's a photo action that I'll, that I'll never forget. It was an early memory and yeah, that was the, the debut against, sort of starts against Mark Yardley, who was, he was a fair size young man. What about um, some of the figures that were on the kind of periphery? Um, you know, I kind of watched that unfold from the, the stands. Um, the, the kind of PA lad sticks, what, what was his role? Did you see a lot of him in and around the training? There, there seemed to be a, a very unusual um, level of uh, opportunity for the, for the guy. Ah, so the guy sticks, he was, again, I would say a def, definitely an interesting character, a bit of a Dell boy, as a nice term maybe. Um, he, was, he was on the phone, you would see him running a boot, he was on the training pitch. Um, He'd be bounced about in the change room, but as regards his football knowledge, it wasn't the best. So, aye, that was that was definitely that guy called Sticks was, as I say, why he was there. I was still I was still love to know to this day. So, but he just seemed to be a Claude and Elka friend. I think more than anything that was behind the scenes and bouncing about there at the time. A couple of uh, really well respected guys came in during that time. You know, we know that Dave Martin had a, a role in in your. Journey to Sunderland, back to Scotland, and so forth. But two other guys that we would have trusted implicitly were uh, John Hollins and uh, Gordon Wallace. Was around about the time as well, wasn't he? I think well, Gordon how, was there in the background. Yeah. How did how did did they uh, communicate, particularly with you Scottish lads, in terms of what was unfolding? Because these are guys who who really understand the game. You know, we we all think we're experts. We all pretend to know about the game, but you're quickly found out when you're in the company of these guys and they start talking football. Again, when John Hollands had, had came in, I'd actually done a wee bit of research on, on the gentleman himself and then realised who he was and obviously I was a bit, in, a bit of a younger as to regards him, but I remember having a conversation with him and it was strange because I was only 20 year old at the time and we had a bit of a one-to-one -one and I was like, John, I says, this is like very amateurish here, this is not how a football club should be like organised, prepared and run. These guys were 
I remember sort of maybe it was a Burns game during the week one point at Starts Park and it was maybe half an hour to go and the French lads weren't here yet and I was like John I says we need to address this situation and he's like in the, the day it's Claude's club it's Claude's money and that and he's like and I think even John John Hollands at the time just felt surplus to requirements and he was like like we've got no chance type of thing so I think even for John Hollands it was a bit of an eye opener coming from his background and having a successful career down in England so even when I remember saying having that one to one with him he was, he, was a, he was in for a shock and I'd say I think John didn't last too long either yeah. Did you hear at the time that uh, Sky had approached looking to do a documentary, almost the kind of Kirkcaldy version of the Kardashians, that had it actually come off, what a document that would be, wouldn't it? I think that would have been very good for the ratings, I think, actually, <laughs> as regards to the, in football terms. So, that, ah, yeah, that, that would have been actually, that's a bit of disappointment now hearing that that didn't happen for us. So, yeah, that would have been, um, that would have been nice to have been part of that, really. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, the, the players that, there was a revolving door of players at the time, there was some come in with a wee bit of experience, there was one or two who picked up injuries who were probably the better players, I think um, Jose Jimbala who played for, for uh, Guinea and so forth, but never actually played a game for Raith Rovers, I don't think. Um, what's your knowledge like of your teammates of that time? The greatest respect, very vague, um, because you always, you always remember players with ability, um, that, that stand out and unfortunately with the greatest respect to these French guys none of them didn't really have that um, I think I've said that numerous times I think if Claude had done his done his homework a bit better and his recruitment as I said he, ju- he just brought far too many over and it, and it was just it just it was just a failure from the beginning um, but with the greatest respect I didn't not anyone really stands out as regards the French boys I think there was a couple of them that went on to, to maybe last the season under Gordon Dale towards the end of that season and maybe wanted to stay and played their part, but I think as soon as Gordon came in, I think most of them moved on, if, I, if I'm right, so it's obviously a long time ago, but no, as I say, as regards my memories, as the French boys, unfortunately, they're not very good. Well, I think we'll put that to the test. Uh, Ian, I'm going to give you some names. Is this a lad that you played with, or is this a lad who didn't you didn't play with? <laughs> um, if you are so inclined, you can uh, answer Claude or Fraud, it's up to you, but the right. uh, first name I'm going to give you is... Uh, Amar Benesai. Fraud. You played with him. Bilal Hassani. Fraud. Fraud. Represented France at the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, Nisimba Wasamba. Fraud. Claude. You played alongside him. Only played one game. Uh, Gregory Burdi. Fraud. You're right, you should have got that, it's a French golfer. Oh, sorry, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you one more. Um, what about Amar, Benesai, or Dan, what about Mejdi or Lujdi? Claude, I do remember that absolutely. name, what was his position? He was a midfield player, if I remember properly. And uh, we'll round it up to six. Uh, Morris Garan. Oh, the name Morris rings a bell, but I'm going to go Claude. Fraud. Oh. Won the first ever Tour de France, but uh, maybe you felt like you could have played with some of the guys who were about 130 years old. <laughs> Might have matured into <laughs> players there. Maybe better off yeah. with some of the guys playing. You mentioned, though, that um, Claude himself, you know, a, a decent guy, and I think that's, for me, having spent a bit of time with him, that's a wee bit of a footnote that um, probably should uh, differentiate us from um, from kind of more rabid football fans that the, the damage was done and we'll speak about the recovery that you've been such a kind of vital part of but um, we all live and learn don't we? 
to do that, as I say, as regards a, as a man and a gentleman, he, he was he was a good guy, but unfortunately, he's, they just got the football side that wrong, sadly. Tell us a wee bit about uh, Gordon Dale and uh, Sean Dennis. I mean, if we're talking about um, football and characters, they don't really come much bigger. And also in terms of Wraith Rovers, true quality. Um, what was it like in the dressing room with these two guys? couple of interesting characters again, two guys that are definitely not shy, Dazza's not shy in talking about himself, <laughs> as I think the majority of people know, Sean I got on really well with, I think being a Kirkcaldy boy and myself, we um, after trainings and stuff we would have a few conversations, I would ask Sean about his pastimes as a player at Hibs and Rafe and things like that, um, I think Sean won't mind me saying back in his day he'd come for a very, very big drinking culture, after training they would go for a I'd go for a right drink, but that just that didn't exist in my time coming through football. So, so no, I got really well with Sean, uh, Mr. Gars Daz. I think there was a great buzz and excitement when he came back. Legendary status as a player, and probably go down as one of the best ever doing what he done with that League Cup. So, but again, probably Daz damage limitations with the greatest respect to him. Um, so now nah, it was obviously it was a big, a big tough call for Daz, and again, probably he were maybe like to have worked out a lot better than what I did but I think you'll always be known as a legendary player and, and same with Sean really so but not two guys that I respect enormously for what they've done for the football club and, and obviously I see a bump into Sean now and again obviously because he's more local but Daz obviously been an Asia boy very rarely see so but no I, I say I think they, they had their their hands tied really when they took over the job and they tried their best so that is what it was at the time. You move on quite quickly from the Anelka experiment, if we can call that, to actually having Craig Levine uh, leading the line, albeit kind of very briefly, um, and that's, I guess, where the, we move on from damage limitation to actually um, rebuilding. What, what was that like? Impressions of Craig were very, very impressive. Um, again, I think st- straight away this guy struck me as, oh, he knows what he's doing as regards organisation, detail, preparation, things like that. He had a good so he had a good football career, he had been doing well, just come from Leicester, obviously it didn't work out there. Um, but again, he, I think, sort of laid the foundations and started the rebuilding job and sort of put put things in place for then John McGlynn to come in, really. So obviously we didn't, it would have been nice to have a bit longer with Craig, but I think as soon as Craig come in, you could see there was slowly but surely, it was it was kind of getting there, so it been decent and been, at least been a professional outfit type of thing. So. Yeah, and obviously, in the day, he went on to do really well at Dungeon United. And of course, Craig's uh, lasting uh, impact for Wraith Rovers was the recommendation of John McGlynn. Um, what was your first uh, kind of memory of John McGlynn coming through the doors at the players' entrance? Somewhat of a kind of unknown quantity in some respects at the time. Um, obviously known um, through his great youth work at Hearts and, and the, the kind of younger teams but um, very much hit the ground running in all areas and every aspect of the club. What, what do you recall of John coming in? First impressions was he's a very enthusiastic man um, that would did not shy away from hard work and results suggested what he was about and as I say it didn't take too long for us to sort of shoot up the league and become more respected really um, under John. Uh, a man that I have so much respect for and I owe a lot of gratitude for him I've spent most of my football career with really at the end of the day two spells at Rafe so as a guy that I hold very very high in my, in my life and always well and a bit of a father figure really as well I never really had that so John was good for me as well so but no I, I just found the man that this is a man that wanted wanted results and wanted to do well 
And again, I th- that, that went on to be the case. What is, it, what is it about John and Paul that I'm always struck with this, um, players of the kind of relative recent past and current players, even players just coming into the team, uh, even this season, the, the one thing that they're saying is um, their enthusiasm to come and work uh, at Race Rovers and work with John and Paul to become better football players and some have said even kind of better people. What is it that John and Paul collectively bring that, that gets you on side and keeps you feeling so um, cared for? I just think... First and foremost, I think they treat you well as a human being. Um, I'm always a big person, whether it was the kit man or Linda the cleaner or June the laundry person, you say hi to these people or the girls in the office, Laura, Lynn, whoever it may be, you respect everybody in the building. I remember Sir Alex Ferguson saying something about that when he was at Man United and it was something that always stuck in my head. So you treat people, everybody the same, regardless who they are at a football club. And Rafe Rover's been a family club. I think it's important that the players connect with that as well and but what John does is he, he treats you right he makes you feel welcome and I think by doing that he gets you on side straight away with him and and under a John McGlynn you have to be fit you have to be a very fit player um, but John I think gets the best out of his players as well that's what I've tend to found that he's got the best out of his players and made them even better um, but as I say he just it is, it's there to prove to see and I think when the Rafe Rovers fans got him back for the second time they realised again probably at that time that was what he needed and again kicked on from that, we'll probably go into that later on but no I, I just think he, he just gets a connection and relationship majority of times, not every player works out, that, that's just a fact but majority of times he does John and Smudger's the more sort of the one in between players at times where the manager has to make that vital call, he's the one that's more intense and Smudger's a bit more relaxed one, so you always need that sidekick and at the end of the day both of them have worked really well for each other. Uh, success certainly came, you know, we kind of pushed close to the, the, the first season, but um, after kind of watching, my, my last memory is um, being in the boot room kind of post one particular match when we, we kind of heard what appeared to be Air United celebrating the league in March. Mm-hmm. We, we then went on a quite incredible run of uh, nine games unbeaten, eight wins, a draw in the last game at uh, our broth. What, what do you recall of that time? It culminated with winning the league at Hamden. I mean, for, for players playing outside the, the Premier League, does it get any better than that? Listen, it's the most probably iconic stadium in Scotland for us. It's our national stadium and, and to do it there was was just nice. It was wonderful. Um, it's obviously a lasting memory that I'll never forget. Um, I knew the business was done when I heard our fans celebrating again back in those days I think it was sort of more radio was it probably and yeah you could just tell from the stands what had happened and it just it then come onto the pitch and the new sort of job was done but touching back on what you said the thing that stuck up in my mind more than anything was when Air United beat us at home celebrating they had, like they had won the league at final whistle and it was something I thought oh, okay okay that's that, that that's fine and it's just something that, that lasted me for the rest of that season, their remaining games, and I'm kind of glad they've done what they've done because for us individually, as a team and a group, it's just something that probably the reaction that, that we got and to go on, that, go on that run at the right stage of the season was so important. The good respect, it would have been nice to have won the last game, but we know it was a bit of a washout at home, Arbroath, is it? I think if we hadn't won the league, the game wouldn't have been on. It was an absolute swamp, but... No, to go on that run um, at that crucial stage of the season was was very, very good. It was a big ask, but I'm glad to go over the finishing line. And I think we were the best team in that league in, the, in that season, and that, that proved to be the case. 
I've asked John about it in the past and he's quickly uh, told me off where, you know, the notion that something happens and, you know, that old mantra of we'll pin that in the dressing room wall. His view is, no, we'll approach every game as ultimate professionals and we'll be prepared as John. But um, but does it did that actually mean anything um, throughout your career that there's moments where you think, yep, that's an extra edge that I need? Sometimes you just need that extra edge as an individual or as a group of players or even the management staff, things like that. And... Uh, it was surprising to see their celebrations because, correct me if I'm wrong, did they only go two points ahead of us or something maybe at the time when they beat us with those nine games to go? Um, but I think it was mentioned um, in the change room afterwards and then I think towards the end did we play Breakin maybe towards the end of that run? Um, and I think there was an interview by a Breakin player as well that again it just kind of got our backs up a little bit saying that he suggested that Air United were the better team. So. Again, when you see these things, and it'll probably it'll continue to happen, it always just gives players and teams an extra incentive. So sometimes I don't understand why players do it, really. Absolutely. I mean, that's a high. We'll come back to Hamden for, for the next high, and that's a, a semi-final appearance against Dundee United. I mean, a, an incredible journey. You only played the one game in that, that cup run, carrying an injury at the time. That was, the, I think, the one bad season, the old the season that I had in football that I suffered really bad with injuries. Um, again, I think I'll remember, I think it was Jason Thompson's brother, Danny Thompson, would that be right, Davey? Yeah, I think um, done all that pre-season, pre first only game against Falkirk, I came off injured, I think tore my medial, and Danny come on for me to score the winner. So that's how I always kind of remember. So, and I think we had a bad winter, ended up breaking my foot with a challenge with Bert Murray, Grant Murray. Um, at Heriot Watt we were one of the bad winters indoor and then I think I came back again and then done my medial so it was a, that was the one bad season and I missed the sort of all the cup runs leading up to it I mean I think the one that stands out most is probably Dundee away isn't it really with Laurie and is it Simeon scores? So yeah I think I mean stand, even in stand I, I felt like a fan that day and it, it was just an amazing scenes um, but no I think that was there's a wee bit of sense of frustration that I didn't play a bigger part in the, in the Scottish Cup run but Listen, to lead the boys out in the semi-final was probably been one of the proudest and biggest achievements in my life to see eight, 9,000 Rovers fans come through that day. Uh, we got off to a great start in the actual game without scoring, so can that, that's the difference when you play these teams. That it's when your chances come along, you have to take them, and then sadly we, we got punished. But listen, that's, I think it was to, to get to the semi-final a national trophy for a club like Rafe Rovers at the time, it was a great achievement and a big achievement, and that's, again, that's one that sort of sticks in the memory bank. Do these kind of landmarks mean anything to you in terms of a kind of historical context? I, I'm working on my brain here, but I think it was 1963 was the last semi-final we were at before that. And then you're playing in the, the next Wraith Rovers team to make that. You know, spoke a lot and we'll speak more about moving past the 500 mark. Are these things that actually give you a, a real kind of moment of pride when you're maybe just not feeling at, the, at your strongest? I think... I think when I when I actually stopped playing, I'm surprised I'm still playing, being 37. But I think when I actually look back playing, I think a lot of, a lot of people say that, and you and look back on it and think that's actually quite a good achievement. As much as all right, the next step was the final, but to get to the biggest trophy in our national league, which is the Scottish semi-final, is a big deal. So I think when I look back and I think, yeah, that, that's not bad for a local lad leading his team out in a semi-final at 25,000 or whatever it was. So. Again, that probably is a nice achievement and it's one of the better ones in my time at Wraith, yeah. You, you then went off for uh, Pastors New and headed up uh, up the road to Dundee, but it wasn't that long, relatively speaking, until you were back in Kirkcaldy, ironically a Dundee United legend that brought you back, Ray McKinnon. A, a successful season? Um, what, what stands out? I mean, there's one game in particular burned in the mind of Wraith Rovers fans. 
Um, it was just literally I was I was kind of floating about that pre-season um, after just leaving Dundee and enjoying my time there. And as I said, probably at the right time, it was maybe time for a nice change. And um, I do remember John going to Hearts, and I'd already signed a pre-contract at Dundee. That John's like wanted to take me to Hearts, but maybe me, probably a loyal person that I was, I'd agreed with Barry. So, but no, as soon as, as soon as I got the phone call for it, it was a bit of a no-brainer to go back. Um, again, just thinking in the long term I was like it'd be nice to go back there and do a few years and, and maybe get the, the two stints at a testimonial because Laurie Ellis sitting all really well had done the three stints so again that was in the back of my mind so as soon as I'd heard about Ray's, Ray's interest it was a bit of a no-brainer really I had a few other a few other offers in the championship and stuff at the time but it was definitely the right definitely the right call because we went on to have a very good season under Ray and I'd say it was just a pity that Ray couldn't stay really a bit, I suppose, again, when you do well and then the bigger clubs come sniffing, Ray being a Dundee boy, went again, went on to Dundee United, so, no, obviously in the playoffs, getting eventually losing out to Hibs, um, winning the first game, we gave ourselves a half a chance, but the second game, they, they were probably too big an ass for us, really. What about the 3-3 Rangers game? Yeah, wow, yeah, how can I forget that? Um, wearing the green that I've got on. <laughs> I had the green boots on that day as well actually no listen you've got one of the biggest clubs in Scotland coming for a, a party celebration title celebration well supposedly it was just an incredible game to be involved in um, Phil Hoos I mean you have to give respect to Rangers fans coming and packing Starks Park thinking it was it was going to be their return back to the SPL and it was just nice to delay it, yeah, it was, it was just an incredible end to the match and I, I, I remember it because I had involvement in the actual equaliser, putting the cross in and then Harry, was it, you pronounced Harry's second name for me? Harry Paniato, who was a lovely lad and loan to Leicester to, to then stick the ball in the net, so listen, that's one game that actually, that will stick in my mind for a long time, I packed out Starts Park where Rangers all I had to do was try and try and win the game to bounce back but now nah, we managed to delay that in a 3-3 draw so that, that was a nice day. I mean that's one of the things about Wraith Rovers and we'll speak about some of the shenanigans that go on around about the club. We are a club of real highs and lows is that you, know, you have a team of the enormity Rangers come, pack out the stadium, locally you'll know that you know pubs work in advertising come and be part of the title party. Um, we miss a penalty in the 90th minute and then we somehow dig out the equaliser that felt like we had qualified for Europe. <laughs> I remember after the game um, going to get Harry for the press and, and there was a woman kind of handing him uh, her baby and getting a picture of Harry with the baby and I'm thinking this is, this is otherworldly. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe clubs at the top end of the Premier might look at that and think oh that's silly but actually it's not. It's, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal for a call like Wraith Rovers because like you say like that's why it's important that you want to play in the top league because you bring your Celtics and your Rangers and your Hibs and Hearts locally for everybody financially it's just so much better and it's just disappointing that we kind of have more people locally that come down to Starts Park instead of going elsewhere um, but no listen it, it was a big day we, we managed to stop a stop a title party so I mean a massive club like Rangers of course that's a big moment for a club like Wraith Rovers so no it's definitely a, definitely a day that I won't forget. As you mentioned, uh, Ray moved on uh, to a new challenge for himself and then we moved into um, the Gary Locke season, or part season rather, nearer. Um, Gary and John, uh, Hughes who took over, uh, there's so much we probably could speak about in that and I think obviously respect is something that you're kind of big on in terms of speaking about people 
who have been part of your footballing journey. My first question would be about, with hindsight, um, John Hughes came in and we were all you know, thinking, this is a great appointment, this is a guy with an incredible um, career and CV. Looking back, were the team in a position that you think if Gary had held on at the end of the season, we might have just got over the line? As I know, hindsight's the greatest thing in the world, isn't it? Um, we had the one in 13 games, was it, if that's right. That's why John come in. Again, Gary, and a good man, actually. A, a good man, good coach. Um, maybe, not a, maybe not a manager. Jacko, again, good coach. Their training and stuff was ideal. Um, so, and it was, it was sad to see them go, but we all, had a, we all have a part to play in that as their guards players and stuff like that. Um, and then John coming in, Again, very enthusiastic to begin with, um, but tried to get us to play a certain style. You could only play with the tools that you've got, and the way that he wanted, with the great respect to the players that we had, we weren't good enough. I mean, we were sort of down towards the bottom of the table and tried to get us to play like Barcelona. Again, we didn't have the individuals on the team to do that, so I just John again, I think for the first few weeks, really tried really tried and I think after a certain while after a certain while he realised that these guys are not they can't do what I'm asking them and they're not good enough and and we could I could see the decline coming. And me in hindsight, I think myself and maybe Jason Thompson, Kevin Cuthbert, a few senior boys had spoken about it briefly about saying, look, maybe need to go and speak to the directors here and say, look, maybe just get someone else in, a Craig Easton and a Kevin Cuthbert get us over the finishing line to end the scene, just make sure we stay up. And I think if, if that had been the case, even after Gary's departure, there was still plenty of time left. Um, that would, I would definitely say that was the lowest point in my life, losing that home to Brecon, um, because I seen it coming and I felt as though we probably could have done something or suggested something to the, the people above us. And that, that was definitely the lowest day of my Rafer Rovers career for sure. In being Wraith Rovers, there's always a cherry on top of the cherry of the cake where we, we also loan out our bright young talent, Lewis Vaughan, who scores, I think he maybe got five goals for Dunbarn, all of which secured points. We play a game with big centre forward and goals. Um, scores a goal out of Dundee United that keeps them up. Is there, a, is there a club like this one? It was, if everything could go wrong, even on and off the pitch, that was it. That was, again, great respect to certain people's decisions that when they do the contracts, they've got to make sure they're doing them right. Can, you don't mind loaning a boy out, but Dumbarton were, at the time, were always, always round about the bottom and to loan him out to Dumbarton and our best player who then goes on to secure Dumbarton's first first championship status was was so strange. It just, it just summed the whole season up. But the goalkeeping situation, we've got Pavel Pinks is uh, suspended. We've got, if I remember correctly, we'll have Aaron Lennox had a uh, quite significant injury uh, to his jaw. We the uh, young Rory couldn't play because there was a kind of development fee would have had to be paid. Um, but we turn up at a game, all of us turn up at a game thinking, I, I actually watched you coming out in the bus looking for a face I didn't recognise. I remember a game uh, years earlier where we had the lad Fleming come in and played against, uh, I think it was Patrick Thistle, because we had a, a run of injuries. He played one game, fine, I think it was the Challenge Cup. But nobody appeared out of the bus, and even to the point of, have we got a pair of gloves for the goalkeeper? Um, but we still defended our position of, well, there's nothing we could do, but clearly we could have. 
it just again, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes as a player, but it actually didn't sink into me till we went pre-match that evening at Fenwick Hotel on the way down. I was like, and there was there was talk of it, and then I was like, oh my god, this is actually really happening. I says, this is this is a first for me in my footballing career, seeing an outfield player actually playing goals, and I was still thinking, no, someone's going to turn up at the hotel here on loan, or like I say, there's always options, but again, it makes you think behind. Had there really been done? Could they do everything they could have possibly done to get someone in? So, again, it was another situation where you're thinking it just doesn't look good. It just looks so unprofessional. And as I say, it, unfortunately, it summed that season up, and it ended up and ended up being disastrous for us. We um, I've got a week in a separate section here where I was struck that um, looking at your stats, that four seasons in a row you were involved in some form of playoff. Um, and, and I don't think they were over the piece very kind to us, really. You, know, you mentioned the Hibs one. We had uh, you mentioned the Breakin City one, which uh, is, is of course a low point for us all. We've all got a lasting memory of seeing people that we cared for at the club, um, really not in a good way after it, and, and include players that I've seen in post match. Um, we then move on, and you mentioned Barry Smith earlier. Uh, Barry comes uh, up the road to Kirkcaldy, and or it, it's the width of a post. Um, that, that stops us from winning the league and then the, the harshness of, of the playoffs for Raith Rovers stop us progressing. What's your memories of that time in, in working with uh, with Barry and his team? Again, Barry was again a guy that I respected really well because he actually signed me from Raith Rovers and he was a manager of Dundee at the time so he signed me so as a guy that I knew well and, and really respected and again a very a, a, a more quieter individual to be fair Barry sort of more kept his self but it wasn't for the lack of hard work on the training pitch um, again really well organised and prepared well and boys loved his training and I think boys liked Barry but as I say the, the fractions of sport and Louis Vaughan I'm thinking well I header this in the goal but I'm thinking no I'll header it down to Louis Vaughan our best player and let him do the business and we joke about it now and again, but at the time it, it wasn't a joking. But that's that is football. It's decisions change, games change, lives, things like that. And that that was that's literally at that time that was what happened. Um, but I just remember the thing that sunk in the most was that evening at Dean Park Hotel, the Player Year. Wow, um, yeah, it was like a morgue, wasn't it? It was just so subdued, and it, it was weird because there was still a chance of being promoted, but. It was, we, we thought it was going to happen there, didn't we? Over four and a half thousand, something like that, was it that day? Yeah, people being walked around because the stand was full. It was um, it was the exact counterpoint to what was spoken in terms of the Rangers game, where actually, you know, was it some days you're the dog, some days you're the lamppost, and we know what we were that day. I was just so quietly confident as a player that it was going to happen, and but like I say, with the width of post stops us from being automatically promoted, and yeah, I just as I say, the, the players presentation that evening was a very weird atmosphere and again you try to be really positive but looking back on it I think going into Alawa game we Alawa I think had the advantage because we had just went for sort of almost winning a league to going for an extreme high to an extreme low and we just went in the game and I think on a bit of a downer and it was no surprise that again that the playoffs we lost out in the playoff to Alawa to be fair. We um, we then seen um, kind of Barry departed and we again were looking back for into the management pool and Mr McGlynn becomes available, Smudger comes along and um, what's your thoughts at that time? I was a wee bit annoyed with John, I must admit, because he never told me. Um, 
I could have at least got a better night at the bookies. So, aye, that was, um, I come as a big surprise. Um, I'd heard about, I did hear a day or two before it was going to be an ex-player or an ex-manager. So, yeah, I was sort of battling my mind of who it could be and whatnot. And obviously I kept in touch with John on a regular basis every couple of weeks, even though both of us maybe weren't at Rafe Rovers when John was working at Celtic, I was at Dundee. But... I, I basically remember sort of seeing him the day that he arrived and there was there was a bit of a shoulder badge in the, in the corridor and then, and then a big hug so yeah we just know each other really well and again I, I was delighted to see him back um, I thought if anybody again is going to get us out of this League One at the time this was the right appointment and I think the fans sensed that and again it's proven to be the right choice. We, um, we came close in the small matter of Stephen Doby and Lyndon Dykes uh, for Queen of the South. It's not a bad uh, strike force that put us to the sword in the first playoff, but we, we then kind of bounced back. Um, tell us about the, the the season that we we led for such a significant period in terms of sitting at the top of the table, but the circumstances of our league win were otherworldly with the pandemic coming. What, what was that period of time like for you as players uncertainty you didn't know if you're going to play the whole league again part of the league no one was going up two teams how, how did you process that because we forget as fans this is your livelihood this is your family this is your car payments your mortgage how do you just um, keep ticking forward i think you covered the word yourself david really the word's uncertainty really that, that, i think that covered all basis and we were just we would probably find out as much as we did when media would find out or fans would really it was we would maybe find out, we would have a, a group chat with a gaffer and we were just, he was trying to keep us updated as best as possible and what I do remember is, is, is having a conversation with John McGlynn on maybe a Thursday evening because we were due to travel to Peterhead, wasn't it, for the Saturday game but we are going to travel up on the Friday afternoon so we would have been training midday and then travelling up on the bus to stay overnight and I remember having a conversation with John on the Thursday night saying, Davo, what do I do? this could be the last game on Saturday, potentially the last game because of the way things are supposedly going to go. He says, do I tell them that this is the last game and it'll make them play an extra 5-10% or do I say nothing? And it was just, and I was just kind of put on the spot and I was I was actually stuck for words to begin with, but I, I just remember, I was like, no Gaffer, I think you have to tell them. I said, because if you don't and it doesn't go the way you want, I said, you might regret that. So that was literally, that's what I do remember at the time of that and obviously the game never even actually happened. So thankfully we were, we were top of the league because that was the way they ended up doing it and I understand Falkirk's grievances, we would be the same. I mean that was that was us all season, the two years really, with the greatest respect, it was always going to be us two, two full-time teams and there wasn't much between us. We, we drew every league game we played against each other. So nah, listen, it, it would have been the fair outcome would have been for me, I think maybe speaking to Bill Clark about two up and no relegations changed things up. I think it was a good time to, to change the leagues instead of being the way it's been. It would have been a nice time, nice time to change it. And I just think no relegations and two promotions would have kept everybody happy. That would have been the fairest way for me because Hearts, would have, they feel aggrieved. And I think Partick Thistle did because they're sitting second bottom or bottom and they've got games in hand. So... They, they, they were in a situation where they probably can get themselves out of that situation um, but thankfully for us it kind of worked in our favour but we we didn't we didn't want that as players as a group of players it was we couldn't celebrate due to Covid anyway. but there was it was very subdued it was one of the weirdest situations I've ever experienced but at the end of the day it benefited us 
being back in the championship where we deserve to be I thought on the course of basically that season because I think we had the most points and we're top of the league the most season consistently so yeah I think in the end we deserved it really but no it was definitely it wasn't the way we wanted to be promoted Do, do you take more um, pride or enjoyment from last season than the one that you actually won, won the league? I would say so I would say so because as much again it still wasn't a full season we played 27 games is it and Listen, last season to come back up and, and produce the football we did and be involved in the squad that I did it was probably one of the best squads I've been involved in a John McGlynn second era I played in a very good first one round um, with a Graham Weir and a Kevin Smith and a Stephen Simmons and Mark Campbell and Martin Andrews and all that those guys that was a, a very good John McGlynn squad but that one last year Unfortunately, no, just to finish second, maybe just cost us as well. Um, playing that extra two games is, is a big it's a big factor. It's a very, very big factor, whether you like it or not. And again, I think it probably proved that in the two playoff games against Dundee. I think they just seemed a bit fresher. But over the course of the seasons, I think it was, a, it was just a pity again that the fans couldn't be there to enjoy us because that was just so enjoyable as a player. I enjoyed that more than anything because I was thinking, could this be my last season as a player? And for the way that we played, especially having to be take a ball in a six-yard box, knowing if you make a mistake, it results in a goal. But you had to be brave. You had to be brave and, and take that ball six, seven, eight yards out. And that was the way John wanted to start and build for the back. And obviously, he'd learnt a lot under Brendan Rodgers. And John speaks about him very highly and says he's the best coach he's ever worked under. And you could see that John's come back as a better coach as well. And that proved on the football pitch for Rafe Rovers last season. It, it certainly... Um a different John McGlynn who came back for his, his second tenure I'm sure he would agree with that I was speaking with Todd Lumsden in one of the half time features and um, he, he watched a few of the games on Wraith TV catching up with where things were at and, and one of the things that just made him smile was he says could you ever imagine you were around at that time David and obviously Ian you, you were playing at the time can you imagine Todd Marvin Sparky yourself passing the ball about and John's reaction at that moment now he's he's the prophet of this is how we go about our business but um, well, how do you think he might have reacted if that's how you said started playing at the time <laughs> I, I, I would have been I would have been I would love to have seen his face just just a moment at, back then in his first spell where a Martin Andrews a Todd Lumsden or a Mark Campbell or even myself taking the ball out because we we just never ever done that back then. We, we we just never played out. We were more and they more direct and played the opposition's half and we were more organised and well drilled. But it was ah it was a total different John McGlynn that came back for working at Celtic and he came back a, a a bit more chilled as well, which was good to see. But listen, he's still he's still so intense. His intensity is incredible, and I mean the man is just a workaholic. I've never seen anything like it. So he sleeps and breathes football. He does, and I think everything that he gets as a result as a manager he deserves because I see what he does behind the scenes and probably you will as well David at the end of the day and there's a lot of people that don't but yeah he he's just a workaholic and for him to change from one extreme to another now it's but as a player it was so enjoyable and if you've got a vegan Hendry in there or a Brad Spencer you kind of have to play football um, but listen the boys whatever whatever way we played whatever formation we done the boys again for the group of boys that we did we adapted no baller even in the league one season we done it really well whatever formation it was and last season again it's just whatever John threw us the boys adapted so I think that comes from what we were saying earlier on I think he always he tries to get the right balance right as the right group of players and try and make sure you you don't have any bad eggs and things like that really and I think 
I've been quite lucky in John McGlynn teams. I've never really experienced that type of thing, and that is a big thing in football. One of the things that you said to me, and we were setting up this interview, and we've had three or four false starts with just the way life's evolved, and it's what you said in the past is just ask me anything. Um, within it being the, the realms of um, the club's official TV channel, ask me anything. So for me, the, one of the questions that I went down my stats on was your disciplinary record. Um, I, I want to ask you about a particular comment. You mentioned Barry Smith earlier on, and people sometimes um, kind of look back at interviews that we done with Barry who didn't really like being in front of the camera and misread that as, oh, he was quite short. We actually experienced quite the opposite. So I was glad to hear you say that you enjoyed working with him because we did as well. Um, but what Barry said was, um, if it wasn't for discipline um, being an issue at times, Ian Davison wouldn't be here playing for me. Do you th- how much do you think it's held you back? Yeah, again, I've probably never had a football agent either, so maybe that's probably another reason why I've never sort of... The agents, as I say, they're a big part of football, but I was always just kind of looking after myself, and if a club always wanted you, they would probably get you, and I think John McGlynn was always always wanted me, and he was a big part of how, why I'd always sort of spent so many years at Rafe Rover, so... But yeah, discipline, unfortunately, is... As, as a negative, there, there's a there's a good few there where they were totally unnecessary. That that that's for sure. And again, over the course of how long I've played, a lot of them will be double yellow cards, turning into red, missed time tackles, and things like that. But there's definitely maybe three or four that have been unnecessary. And being on a football pitch, I always wanted to give everything I did, and I played on the edge. And I think at times I definitely could have helped myself, but as I think there's, there's many footballers who have played on the edge, but if you take that away from them, do you get the same out of them as a player? There's always that element as well. But no, there's definitely times I think where John McGlynn especially tried to pull me aside and we looked at things to try and help me and stuff with regards to that, the, the fiery sort of person that I was. And they say, John, that's why I respect him quite a lot because he always tried to do the best for me, really. Um, let's look at some. Uh, urban legends or, or are there urban legends with regards to your career um, one of the things that's um, a bit of a kind of trope in Kirkcaldy I, I don't think you'll sit in a pub boy Wraith Rovers fans and mention Ian Davidson without this kind of coming up and that's the notion that um, Ian Davidson likes Christmas Day and Boxing Day off so um, this is particular interest um, I asked one or two of your former teammates to drop me some messages and a, a well-known adopted fifer, Kyle Benedicta, said, ask him about Christmas, ask him about Christmas. So, we've done some homework, and over the 14 seasons, there was 40 games that spanned the week before, the week after Christmas and New Year. Um, of those 40 games, how many do you think you... Well, let's go to the, go to the, the Red Hawk question. How many do you think you missed suspended? Out of 40 games. 40 so we all know the, 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 the statement... Davo, Davo doesn't do the festive, the festive period. period. I'm gonna say just more than half. Give me a number, Ian. Twenty-four. You think you'll be suspended for twenty-four out of forty games? I hope so. Right. You want to hold on to that thing that's beside you because you might fall off this. You were suspended for seven. Oh. Seven. Of the 40, you played 27, you made, uh, you were sub for four, came on in two of the games, so technically you played 29, you were injured for two, and you were suspended for seven out of the 40 games. So I might have just put that to bed for you. Thank you, David. That's, okay, you're very uh, well, welcome. It's nice to know, it's not as bad as I thought. I, I must admit, I thought it was a lot worse than that. Okay, 507 uh, games. Um, 
How many times do you think you've been an unused sub? Uh, we'll give you three numbers. Nine, 26 or 14. An unused sub across 14 seasons. I'm going to go for the buff the date of mine. I'm going to say 14. It's 14. Decent start. That tells you quite a bit about your the faith yeah. that your managers and your, your teammates have got in you. That is a good start. That's, that's, a, nice, that's a nice one to know. I actually never knew that. and that, That's good to know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that. We've got... Um, we're going to collect some other more kind of general questions just to lighten the load a wee bit so fire some quick ones at you um, we speaking with Liam Buchanan for his half time piece and, and he was sharing that he played at all of the Scottish football grounds you must be close to that any you missing? I think the only ones that I would be not played so much as I mean I played majority of my years seasons in Championship and League 1 really so I'm going to say probably there'd be a few in League 2 really I've never I don't think I've had a season in there so I've had one season in the SPL so I, I would just probably say maybe the majority of League 2 really We'll be passing that back to our stats guy and get back to you What about um, memorable grounds in the wider sense we've mentioned uh, Hamden uh, I remember our previous interview where you were telling us about playing at Old Highbury that was my time at Sunderland as a youth player, the old Highbury, it was just a bowling green. Incredible surface to play on and that was a team at the time that had some big names, Maurice Volks and Jimmy Pennant. Oh, I've kind of went black, but they, they had an unbelievable youth team and I, I think they possibly went on it to win that year. So that, that was a nice experience in playing at Highbury. That's one of the ones as a youth player when I was at Sunderland that stood out. Most memorable goal? Oh. Or favourite goal? The best strike that I've ever hit was probably his man and his dug was watching it, it was away to Sun Ra. It was a half volley right on the angle for maybe about 26 yards. That's probably the best strike. My favourite goal, probably coming on as a sub against Dunfermline at the start of the season. I think was that the end of the day going to win that season, that league? Was it that season? That was the most memorable one because we went on to win the game. And I, to be fair, I think I come on and I done really well. And I like to think I changed the game. That sounds rare for any games and changing a game, but no, that that sort of stands out because again, more or less, it was jam packed. There was a great buzz, and I scored the goal. But we went on to win the game, so that's one. Gregory scored the winner. Gregory scored the winner. Aye, I think. Yes, yes. I think John Baird no set him up. That no played John Baird, then John Baird put him through. Was that the New Year one? So it wasn't your goal in the Scottish Brewers Cup up at Annan. Up at Annan. <laughs> wow. What about your East Fife volley? That was one I thought you might have picked. You'd that was really uh, recent times. That was technically that was a decent. Did hit, you hear yeah. John McGlynn's voice in your head saying, "Get over the ball as you're hitting it"? I was just think I was just concentrating on hitting the target, if anything. So, and I think then they just went up and scored a winner, did they? Uh, what about? I'm going to jump straight on because I know you're on the the clock here for getting back for your tea. Favorite strip, worst strip? Favorite strip. That you've you played, obviously rover strips. Favorite strip. Um. The yellow one. No, I'm joking. Um, I quite like last year's, believe it or not. I know because it it's fresh, but I really liked last year's. I, I thought that. I thought that was a cracker. The worst. Oh wow! I think there's been a few, hasn't there? Um, the worst. I'm going to say the yellow one actually. The yellow and black. Okay. Um influences and big characters in the dressing room you know just kind of being on the periphery of that footballing world I see how supportive the dressing room can be how vital it is to a good team but also you've you've got to be a strong character even as a young lad to go in there 
who are the big characters that have um, shaped dressing rooms that you've been in and, and who's looked after you in the dressing room? Um, if I go back to my first stint John McGlynn area again Mark Campbell big character big lad but big character Martin Andrews exactly the same Alan Walker as we know not shy um, Stephen Simmons not shy um, they, they were all interesting guys um, Kevin Smith he was on loan for Dundee United quite a, a nice guy but no shy um, Craig Wilson again right back Laurie was a big character he, again probably my first, Laurie was one who was I think you could see he would go on to do, do well as a coach and he has I think Laurie was always one who sort of put me aside when I was a young boy my first stint at Rafe so um, recently Kyle Benedictus to be fair what can I say he's my mate but he is he's, he's a character he's fairly nonsense but again for me very underrated doesn't get the credit he deserves um, Brad Spencer's a character um, he's, he, he likes a laugh uh, Dan Armstrong wasn't shy last year uh, we Dylan Tatus, the guys have been, I think you've been in that car school with them, like in that Ouija thing, glass Ouija's, they're, they're no shy, yeah. Um, but he has a swagger, doesn't he? He does, he's, they've got a thing here where I just think that they're no shy, but that, that he's good, he, I think he's going to go on to have a good career. We Ross Matthews likes a wee, he's a wee wind-up merchant, no. Reagan Hendry, actually, surprisingly, he, when he came back last year, he came at Shell the year before, when he was on loan, he was so quiet, so quiet, and then he came back on this different guy who, again, he was actually, because I think how good he was as a player and his confidence then maybe came out as a, as a character. Um, but yeah, Benny's, Benny's probably the one that stands out sort of the last few years, to be fair. It seems a great wee bit of the world where sometimes players who carry so much responsibility on a Saturday in front of so many um, local people maybe don't need to actually grow up through the, the, the week you've got that kind of schoolboy element that always seems to be present when I, I overhear some of the nonsense again as life's all about balance I and mean, even in a, even in a football circle it's about balance you need to you need to have that intensity that seriousness but at the same time you have to have that laugh and joke and you have to, a football change room as a make or break, I think you just touched on that a few minutes ago. And as a young lad, I could make or break you. And I've, I've seen a few people crumble and without like being over the top. But you, you have to, unfortunately, that's where you become a man. You, if, if you're going to give out, you need to take. Likewise, so. But it's the one thing I think when I retire, it's the one thing that you're going to miss is a football change room. And you hear everybody say it. And it, it's just a fact that it's a place where you just, everything goes on. Tell me a wee bit about um, local boy syndrome. That's something that we speak amongst ourselves as Rovers fans, that it seems to be at times particularly uh, difficult for lads who belong to this area. Um, you've gone for the world of um, you only get your criticism, your feedback in Asda to social media and everybody's a, an armchair psychologist. Any memorable interactions with, with fans? How do you deal with it? I've never... I've, strangely enough, I've never, uh, I've never come close to blows in Kirkcaldy. Not, bit, not that you want, but no. Listen, I think in my first stint, I think when things went badly wrong, I was such a young boy at nineteen twenty. That that was when I found it the most difficult because I, I didn't realise that was what was going on. That playing for the local team and being in the public eye, it was when I was young. It was tough, but. And as I got older, like, you, you think, right, if I've played badly, I'll take the criticism or I've done wrong. When you're being in the wrong, you have to be big enough and ugly enough to hold your hands up. And But I think it's just a lot of times that I just think I've maybe not been appreciated. That's, that's, that's tough to take. Um, 
But listen, it's, it's an opinionated game, and th uh, whether it's good or bad, but as long as it's constructive criticism is all I would say. But no, I, I, listen, being a local lad, as I say, I've said it many times, and I've said it, it has its pluses and it has its minuses. Because if you're going shopping at Asda's or wherever it may be, and you're walking about a town, yeah, the, the day people are not sure that you you'll be the easy target, or if it's no went wrong, that you're you're, you're on the firing line. You know, the boys in Edinburgh, or Glasgow are not going to get that because state of us, they're not living local. But no, I think when I come back for the second stint, that I was I was more more mature, more rounded, and probably better to deal with it really the second time round. And but no, I, I think as the last few years, it's definitely not been never near as bad as what it was when I was in my first spell when I was younger. So you're not aware of the 300 uh, pages on football forums about how dare he go for Acosta when we've just been beat 1-0? No, I'm not aware of that. No. Well, <laughs> that's, that's why I don't do social media. Tell me about, um, so we've covered chaos, drama, the surreal, high points, low points. Let's venture into the, the real dark zone. Um, you played for a trialist as uh, Dunfermline. What was that all about? Um, no one else wanted me, sadly. Um, I was waiting on that Rafe Rover call, but it come too late, didn't it? Um, but no, that again, to be fair, that was through John Potter really, um, and, and, and Alan Johnson, but again, it was obviously I'd left Dundee, I'd had a few offers from a Queen of the South, a Greenock Morton, um, things that are probably geography-wise that weren't really suiting me, a few part-time offers, and Dunfermline being along the road, as we know, it was, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll go on a long train there, and I think it wasn't until the second week, when eventually, thankfully, I got the phone call for Ray about coming in, and then... Yeah, there's no looking back now, yeah. I have to say that um, when we spoke to you just at the time you came back, you referred to Dunfermline as the neighbours, and from that point, that's the phrase we've always used in our commentary <laughs> as well. We just think it's it's a bit of fun and it's, it's got a wee bit edgy respect yeah, to it as well. Just a bit tug-in-cheek. Yeah, so you, you mentioned about the opportunity possibly to go to Hearts, and you've mentioned a couple of um, kind of similar level teams to Wraith Rovers. Are there any offers that you had that you regret not taking? Not really, because... <laughs> Again, I've, I've, never, I've never had a, an agent, and I think as we know in the, in the football world, and especially the way it's been for 20, 30 years, they're, they're the guys that help you get the moves and put you out there, blah, blah, blah. But I've never really had been inundated with loads of offers to go elsewhere or abroad and things like that, because it's just never happened, because I've kind of looked after myself. So, as I say, Hearts only come about because I.e. the John McGlynn that left Rafe to go to Hearts that summer and I went out to go to Dundee, so I'd already signed the pre-contract, so being a loyal man, I, I couldn't, really, couldn't really say no to Barry, so... But no, I, John, as I say, probably biggest club-wise, that was probably, probably the best that I've probably really had a chance to go to. So, near the end, a couple of questions um, from people who actually understand football rather than me. So, the first is from a Mr Paul Smith. Um, Ian, after a long and distinguished career, what advice would you pass on to our younger players? And do you have any advice for me and the gaffer? <laughs> um, I, think, I think Paul gets a word in for the gaffer. I think gaffer just shoots Paul's opinion down. No, um, any advice? Again, I think when I was a youngster in the garden, kicking the ball off the wall constantly, left and right foot, practice, practice. Just don't give up on your dreams. Like when you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, he's he's the model pro and Messi's probably the best player in the world I've ever seen. So these young kids have have to look up to these guys and and think that's what they could achieve. You, you don't let anybody say you're not good enough. Just make sure you practice and as long as you're enjoying it is the main thing. Is that the advice I would give? Any advice for John Paul? You did offer a, a listening ear across the last season in a bit. Um 
No, I'm not going to say nothing <laughs> because I'll get held against me. Nah, you've especially Gaffer. You've, you've not even let that live in. So no, nah, I'm going to keep quiet. I'm taking the taking the pass on that one. Okay. Um, the second question is from Mr. John McGlynn of Wallyford. What was the highlight of your time while playing under our management? Tell me about a game, a moment, or a time. But there's so many under John. So many highs under John. Oh, I suppose the, the one that stands out, we touched on earlier, probably winning the league at Hamden. You know what I mean? You've, you've worked hard for a course of a season, been the most consistent team, and to be promoted at the National Stadium, it was icing on the cake that season. So that, that's the one that stands out. Again, we've touched on the semi-final under John and Paul. Um, I'm trying to think of an individual game that stands out the most under them. Honestly, a memory like a sieve, it's so bad. Can you think of even a moment where, and you might not even want to share this, or you can just kind of nod if it's the case where you just think of a moment and think, that's a moment that they got me. They they had my back. They They saw me as a person. I did, probably touching back on the Albion Rovers incident, I would say that was when John, I think, realised how much he meant to me and I think, because I think John knew, I think John knew that he had a player there but at the same time he had a guy who had discipline issues but because he's given me, he's producing for me in training and games on a Saturday, like I, I, I want him to be part of my success and I think that's when I knew how much John meant to me and I meant to him and as I say he's like a father figure to me really My phone pinged there um, with a late arrival for the question so the last question from a football source so it's a, another double question the first question is how good is Kyle Benedictus and the second question is who is the best player at Wraith Rovers you have played with in brackets is it Kyle Benedictus <laughs> he's the best centre half I've played with <laughs> Um, best player I've played with. Oh, shut up, boy. I remember picking my Wraith Rovers 11 was, oh my God. I've got a few texts after that, mind you. So you've done that for social media, but we're going to come back. Oh, yeah. and maybe, maybe in a month or two, we'll get a wee bit yeah, of break and we're, we're going to do a wee feature where we'll go that'd through. That'd be good, because I think I got a bit of stick for putting myself in, but again, that was just a bit tongue-in-cheek at the time, flinging myself in there. But Benny's, as I say, I've already said, covered Benny. Benny's very underrated. Um, best player I've played with. Give us a give us a defender, a midfielder, a striker. Because you're comparing apples and oranges, aren't you? Oh, defender wise, again, two man mountains. I think Todd's a wee bit unlucky because Sparky and Marv are just two giants and two massive characters as well. So it's hard to pick between the two. Um, it's the no nonsense centre halves that would never lose a header. You wouldn't want going a fifty fifty with. Midfield-wise, played again, played with some really good midfielders, Stephen Simmons, Alan Walker. Um, who else have I played with in there? But probably most recently, technically gifted, would be Reagan Hendry. Forwards, been lucky in that sense. Again, touched on Miller, Graham Weir, Kevin Smith, Gary Wales, finishers, Gregory Taddy, John Baird. Wow. Um, I'm, again, I can't wait on the text messages coming when I've missed somebody out, but... If that probably wasn't a injury, he's probably Louis Vaughan. He's again technically is the one that stands out ability wise. So I have been quite spoiled when I think about it really like. Yeah, I think we all have actually. We'll um we'll come back to that. We'll do the, the kind of Davo eleven in, in in a month or so. Um last question I guess from, from myself is how would you like to be remembered, the Wraith Rovers fans? A, a very good player, yeah. I, 
a very good a very good footballer who was good service, loyal up the club and whether I played centre mid, centre back, tried his best, gave everything and majority of times done really well. Uh, that just yeah, that that'd be nice to be remembered and fondly that way and that that would that would mean the most to me really, yeah, that 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 would mean a lot. I mean, the kind of start that will finish way just does emphasise in this, this club that we've got in our blood that you really are standing in amongst giants. Um, Willie McNaught, 658 games. Andy Young, 622. And Ian Davison with 507. Um, you can move past Murray McDermott who moves into fourth and 498. You, you know the, the town, you know the team, you know the history. These are giants and, and you're shoulder to shoulder with them. Yeah, I think I think maybe further down the line, maybe it's because it's just happened. But I would like to think maybe further down the line that would be that would be spoken about in their in their legacy that the service and already covered the loyalty that I've given the club and and the two and the two stints that I've had would be would make me immensely proud. Really, you want to sign off an interview, and I'll just let you have a word with Wraith Rovers fans, and, and I guess all of us is is the Wraith Rovers community. Tell tell us tell us what what it's all meant to you. Um, first and foremost, I would like to say thank you for your support over my 14 years and the two spells. Um, it's been an honour and a privilege to play for my local town. A lot of them highs and lows, um, but like I say, I can get a nice send-off on Friday night against Hibs. It's just a pity there's only a thousand of these coming, because I think it could have been a lot, lot more there. Um, there's a bit of frustration there that we can't get more there, but it is what it is due to the pandemic. If you kind of get to the game, it'd be nice if you could tune in. But yeah, just it'd, it'd be nice to get a, a good send off, and I'd just like to say thank you for everything. And I say it's a pity that you couldn't be there last year in the good season that we had in the championship. But you'll be coming back and, and make sure you support the boys and stick by them even through thick and thin. And I say just be there. There's nothing more important in a football club than fans, and without fans, there's no football club. So yeah, just look forward to the future, and you are in good hands with John McGlynn and Paul Smith and. I think behind the scenes, these guys, Ian and David, and people that we don't see that put all the hard work in, the volunteers, thank you very much, and I wish you all the best. Thanks very much, Dale. No problem.